Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We took um, a few days off because kind of a big deal. I got married. Not that big of a deal. First off, I got married, but we belted off Ashton the very next day. I was hungover as shit. Yep. Belted off Ashton and then dropped it when I was away on the honeymoon <clears throat> in Mexico, Mexico. Um, and then uh, and then here we are, man. And I swear to God, for in a nine-day period, I was drunk eight of them. And I got to ask, what happened with the last one? That's right. Why did well, I take a day off? Yeah. Yeah. I was weak. No, I... Uh, so <clears throat> the Lord rested on the seventh day, right. you decided to as well? That's right. That's, that's right. Sad. I took a day off. No, dude. Holy smokes. So in Mexico, I was fine. You wake up, you're like, God, you're on the... We're from Canada, Toronto. So it's like, well, this is Celsius, but minus six to minus ten-ish, snow on the ground. It's freezing anyways. Wherever, wherever you live in, if you go by Fahrenheit, it's freezing outside. We're like New York, Boston weather, comparable. And um, so when I go down to Mexico, and it's freaking palm trees, sunny beaches, you got to put on sunscreen... I'm mid, the beers go down so fucking smooth. It doesn't matter. You wake up the next day, I'm smashing weights, drinking beers after lunch, and you feel like superhuman. In a matter of a week, put on five pounds. Bang, bang, bang. Like I'm almost a pound a day. Almost a pound a day at a clip like that. Um, whereas, you know, anywhere else, a pound a day is huge. Like that's a gluttonous lifestyle, man. I was just ripping yeah. it up. And you don't feel it. Until you blame back in Canada, and then all of a sudden it feels like like when the adrenaline leaves your body and you come back to the normal ebb and flow, you're like, oh, you know, it catches you like all of a sudden, like like the one day when you ask, okay, other nine days, how come I'm drunk eight? Because the wedding was in Canada, got drunk, woke up the next day, hung over, and left it at that. Okay, that's fair. So because you're in Canada, because you're normal, because you're in your normal environment. So when you wake up hungover in your normal environment, I didn't work out. I didn't like, man, I was like, you know, hungover doing my usual thing around the house. When I went to Mexico, there was no like, I just, you just muddled through it. You just worked out, got drunk, did everything all over again, regardless, seven more days straight. And I feel like when I came back to Canada, bam, man. Yeah, seven days of living the rock style, rock star lifestyle. Yeah. I don't know how a rock star stays the way they do. Which probably took a year off of your life, but yeah, dude, I don't know how Rockstar could sit because I, on my, I like, I got a Fitbit to try to keep me into eighty three kilo. I got to walk a certain amount of steps. It keeps my body weight down. Easy way of tracking, okay? And um, even walking at minimum about twelve thousand steps, hitting the weights every single day, still gained five pounds in a week. How the fuck does a rock star do it? Like Ziggy Pop and shit, those guys. You gotta think, Mick Jagger. How do they stay? Like he's like the size that, of a girl. Being up on that stage, doing what they those guys do for three hours though, just running around, yeah, burning energy. They're probably burning like five thousand calories a day, and they're probably not eating. Yeah, when you're a heroin addict, you tend not to eat much. Whoa, 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 whoa! But did Jagger ever did mix it to heroin? I have no idea. Probably. probably. I don't think. I'm surprised those, you don't read his book. I don't think those guys held off from very much. Yeah, I, you I, know what? I haven't, read, I haven't read his biography. You read a lot of them, though. I have read a lot of them, though. And how many of them got into drugs? Oh, most of them. Like, it'd be weird as shit. Yeah. It would be weird as shit to hear, like, a rock star getting drunk or drunk. And you know what? Something. After reading Slash's biography, when the way they describe heroin and stuff like that, it almost made me want to try it. Really? Probably the exact opposite so, of what he was trying to do. But Slash was on heroin? Oh, yeah. Fuck, I thought it just drugs and what Heroin? 
Were all those boys on heroin? Pretty much. I think the only one that wasn't was Axel. What? Axel was surprisingly fairly clean in his entire lifestyle. What? Like, raging alcoholic, I think, during the time, but... Yeah, and that's clean. For Rockstar, alcoholic is clean. But he was the voice of reason for the band. Really? Think about that for a second. He was the one that actually called out Slash, Steven Adler... Which is Izzy crazy because Axel is an absolute madman. Yeah. The thing is, half of that is actual just people know mental illness. Yeah, he he's, he's bipolar. bipolar. Yeah, so Saliva just all drugs fucked him up. He might have been like the, he, maybe, but he might have been like that regardless if you never touch alcohol or drugs at all. You could get bipolar. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, because but going back to that lifestyle, good on those guys. I saw them last year or two years ago now when they're in their sixties. Still putting on a phenomenal fucking show, and the amount of energy those guys are putting out, yeah. I have no idea how they do it. So well, in terms well, of like, well, I might have an idea how they could get all, that energy. They're all clean now. All right. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wink, wink. Apparently, nudge, nudge, supposedly, yeah, anyways. It's always a sad story when so and so relapsed. You know what? Here, funny story. Everyone knows Charlie Sheen. Absolute fucking mess. Um, he was on a talk show, and they're like, "When did you know that you had hit rock bottom?" He goes, "I was at a party. Woke up the next day. It was me and Slash on a couch, and Slash turns to me and said, "Bro, you need help." <laughs> he's like, what? Yeah. you telling me I need help? And he's like, that's what I do. Yeah, I got a problem. When Slash is like, hey, yeah. man, uh, you know, I know you see what I did last night, but you got a problem. You're scaring me. That's when he's like, all right, I got a fucking problem. Um, I think my favorite rock star still, story still is Billy Idol taking it to excess so far that he actually forgot two years of his life, during which he was married. Holy shit. But he has no recollection of it whatsoever. Well, like, 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 he got hit like amnesia. Yeah. And was he married? Was that encompassed the entire marriage, or did he come back to married to a woman he had? You no know idea what? I can't remember exactly if he came back to and was still married, or he had gotten married, divorced, and you know, single or whatever during that period. That badly, no, just but that badly, that that much in excess. Who is this? Billy Idol. Holy shit, man! Wow. I love reading stories like that, though. I mean, it's so far and outlandish outside of anything that any normal person experiences. Yeah. Well, you wonder why some of these guys get taken for all the loot they have and all their yeah. money. How could you not rob him blind if he doesn't even yeah. remember a fucking thing? You could have him sign anything under that conditions. Yeah. Like, that's... And, and wives, whatever the shit. It's amazing they don't have... Like, how do more people not get, like... AIDS and kids all what, they got like seven kids no shit oh yeah most you of them, can't most remember them are fucking it. lucky that's yeah. just all it comes down to is they are lucky yeah yeah no shit and, and you could see so you know what I was actually telling you we had a conversation earlier when we were walking the dogs when I was in Mexico walking I, you're like you're appreciating every moment because you know it's going to end yeah so you appreciate every fucking day but if you left me on that resort and it's Groundhog Day every day I ate as much as I wanted Every day I drank booze. Every day, but... And everything just came easily to... I just want something, I get it. Um, leave me there for like 10 years straight. You could see how it would get depressing as shit and that little hotel room would be, you know, like your, your prison. Oh, yeah, 100%. And you'd actually and start... discussing this. The more you experience that and the more you go through it, the more you start searching for something new else. experiences, which yeah. is probably what happens to a lot of these guys. You need to challenge yourself. You need challenges. You need something. That growing. And when you stop growing and you're just through what you think is a groundhog day and to get through your day you're getting hammered doing whatever the shit even though it sounds crazy you're on tour but you're stuck in the van you're stuck in hotel you're stuck in something or rather and this is groundhog day and you're not you know yeah. you're you're it's not the same man 
after a while, initially it's wicked. Uh, and eventually you could see how like 10 years later these guys are like destroyed mentally. Yeah. And they're like suicidal and it's crazy. But you could start saying like, yeah, this isn't... Well, you hear a lot of stories about some of them. Like if you talk about people who are like, we're going to call them one-hit wonders, but they made it into a career. But going out there now and performing that same song over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's the only thing people want to actually hear you play. Yeah. It's like a fucking prison for the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even if it wasn't a one-hit runner, it's still like... But still, yeah, exactly. You almost... It's almost, in a way, not the worst thing in the world to be a one-album wonder. Had your time, gotten out, went back to reality, and no one can ever take that from you. You experienced it, but you got out before you ruined your life. Before you fucking cheat on your wife and do all this crazy shit and just ruin your life, look back and be like, oh my God, I destroyed everything I had. You just get in, get out, and it is what it is before it gets too big like that. Yep. But, uh, and also on our walks, we also happen to be talking about um, topic, we don't got to drop names, but, uh, well, we could we could talk about uh, who broke the national record. Here's the situation. I want to get people's reaction to this, because this isn't just powerlifting. It's in all sports. We're related back to other sports. Let's bring it up for powerlifting first. Um, we know a guy, Kathleen, at the Canadian Provincials, only at a provincial or national level meet, um, can you break a national record. Same thing, I believe, in, in U.S. and most nations. So, he, he, he had a competition and um, previously, and he, he had jumped over the national record yeah. and, and went for a world record. I accidentally accident. went for a world record. I'm not going to say he was handling, but... <laughs> It was me, and I fucked up. <laughs> Funny situation. <laughs> Let's say I'm driving. I go, so I go, Paul, um, how'd Caffrey do in terms of the meat? Because I know you're handling Caffrey, and I'm coaching Caffrey. How'd he do, man? Great. Uh, went eight for nine. Oh, no shit. What was his last deadlift? Because Caffrey is a deadlift beast. And you uh, text back 325. And I said, Three, 325. I text back 325. And you're like, yeah, yeah, he was pulling for podium. Pulling for podium at 325, my friend, the world record's 325.5. He was pulling for more than podium. We're pulling for history. We're world, we're a chip away from a world record. And you're like, oh, fuck. I don't know. It. Like, So I was like, you just jumped over the na- an opportunity for a national record uh, to pull for bronze. And a na- like a national record's bigger than a bronze medal yeah. any day. So then you're like, ah, oh, fuck my life. I had no idea. You're not an 83-kilo guy. So you yeah. don't know all the 83-kilo records. No, and... And Caffrey's 83 kilo, he doesn't even know, he, he didn't even know the 83 kilo records. Um, so, like, if you were to ask, because you're a 74 kilo guy, I don't know the 74 kilo national records either. You, I know the national records in my own weight class. You kind of, if you're the lifter and you're close to a national yeah. record, probably should it's know. But usually on the lifter to but have it's a, an idea. But that was the second competition. So, in defense of him, he's just like, hey, I'm just looking for experience. Long story short... So and that was to me. I just didn't want him to go for nine for nine. That's right. That's right. Because he ain't gone nine for no. nine. He isn't either. So, anyways, um, the next competition, also a national level, it's it's the provincials. We have regional nationals and provincials. You have an opportunity for a national record again. And the game plan for that one was, we're gonna do a token opener, token for squat and bench. We're gonna snag that that national record we we thought was in reach in in the previous one, but we just don't want to leave anything on the table. Let's just fucking write this wrong, get that done, tie it up. When we walk into the 2019 nationals, we go all out, we go to build a total, just like always the plan. And some people who were there, and this is probably not just for Caffrey, but in all situations, seen 
Oh, this young man took um, opener squat, opener bench, smashed the national record dead, and thought, wow, fuck, I don't like that. I don't like that because he took token lifts earlier. And some people went as far as to label it. You know what that's called? Non-competitive powerlifting. Yep. They have a term for it. Like like, like anybody, like any self-righteous, they always make a, a special term for what you're doing. Right? It makes it somehow more heinous if there's a term for what you just did. And started saying what you could say. Because you're the one who had the conversation with these individuals. First of all, I think, drop that. I think it needs to be put out there the exact scenario. So we're talking about a quick turnaround between meets. We're talking, I think it was, what, six weeks or something like that. Like, it's not... Most. At most. Yeah, it's six, not... A, six weeks. Yeah, it's not a long time to turn around between centrals and provincials. And yeah. we're talking about as well as you have to go do provincials. Yeah, you're not allowed not to. He had to show yeah. up. They're forcing him to. So you have a deload after the meet because you're roughed up. And then you have a deload leading to your next meet, a taper. So you got four weeks to play with. Yeah, pretty okay. much. Yeah. And then go on with the conversations. Yeah, so the conversation was, how do you go about making it so people don't go in and sandbag a meet, but set a national record? Now, you and I have talked about this a lot of times. Obviously, I think the more meets you do, the more experience you get, the more you start realizing, is how do you qualify sandbagging a meet? Because it should be put out there that Caffrey still... In a huge class, like it was like 36 lifters or some shit Absolutely like that. Absolutely stacked. 36 yeah. three, lifters. Three flights, I think it was 12 lifters per flight. Yeah. He's still not in the first flight. Yeah. Even with his openers. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's still he was in still the upper in, half yeah, of that he was pack. In, you guys, like he was in C or whatever, like flight yeah. C or something like that. So he's still in the upper third of the lifters. And, and um, I mean, his Wilkes was... Yeah, his Wilkes like, was like, like 430 total, at the end of the meet. And he, he had a national qualifying... Like, our national qualifying totals in Canada, much higher than in the U.S. In the U.S., they yeah. want him robust. So you have to, in Canada, go through three different stages of meets with a qualifying to get into it. They, they taper it on purpose because they want a little smaller... U.S., I think you lift once, you're in nationals. Yeah. Canada, you lift once, you could go to provincials. You also got to go to regionals, and then you go to nationals. And the whole, it takes, it's a lot of meets, and qualify to for provincials, qualify for regionals, and then qualify. Different yeah. levels of qualifying. But anyway, long story short, well, just with that alone, fucking qualify, has a national qualifying total. Still qualified. But the question and the discussion came up of, A, should you be allowed to do that in terms of just putting in what is qualified as a token lift? Yeah. And set a national record still. And B, should you be allowed to go into a meet and put in token lifts, but then still do nationals? So here's here's the thing. Because um, sometimes the rules are the same. So in terms of the one, not to get too off track, in terms of being able to still go to nationals, you do put in token lifts. Um, because you could you could qualify ahead of time and you just have to yeah. show up. At you a, just have to show up and do it. Which yeah. to me is almost more of a travesty than going in and putting in a token lift, but we're not on that topic yeah. right now. But let's stick, let's stick with the record. Yeah. Let's. How do you enforce, because if you say you have to take all three attempts, even if you miss them, fine. What he started with, let's say he started with a 405 squat, yeah. he'll just end with that on his third. If you make him walk out three times, exactly. he'll walk out three times. You can't enforce it. If you say, uh, no sandbagging, what are you going to issue RPEs for every attempt? You know what? That looked like an RP7 to me. I want to see a 10. Yeah. I'm going to fail the lift. Like, it's just unenforceable. Like, we called it, do you enforce, like, the Rocky, the under, the underdog story yeah. rule? Where it's like, well, this guy fought, like, holy yeah. hell, 
100 pounds less than a squat, but showed a lot more effort. Showed on, a lot more heart, so he's going to bump off the standings. Like, right. they just start applying standings based on effort. How, effort. how do you... I know some people listening to this will be like, somebody else took all nine lifts and on the last deadlift had to take that had to take that deadlift yeah. record. I get it. It's not, it's not the exact same. It's not even. But it's no less different than, well, that's what you have to do for a national deadlift record. But what is this other guy who, hey, I'm a, I'm a national record holder as well. But you're a squat record holder who you went for, because you're a squat specialist. I'm a dead specialist. You got to go for your national record in the first event. Perfectly fresh. In the first event. Yeah. I, and I'm a dead specialist. It's, it wasn't on the table for you to go for the deadlift spe, uh, national record, but it is for the squat. Well, I have to go for the dead. I have eight lifts first. That, that's not fair. It's just the way it goes. It's unenforceable. I, I get it where people, well, the, the, maybe the guy who set the record previously took all nine lists. Maybe. Maybe. But it's it's unenforceable. And it's usually unlikely, let's face it. And reality is, like as you said, like, I mean, you're dealing with a massive class. So I can see the I can see the argument of, you know, he didn't do his nine lists or whatever. Or his eight lifts leading up to that. Yeah. But it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Well, as if, you said, it's if you force him to do if all, you force him to do all lifts, yeah, you just end up tapering it off as you want. Yeah. Even if you say he has to do a certain amount, like let's say as we were talking, he has to throw out a four fifty squat or something like that instead, because yeah. that's determined. That's an opener for him. I got news. It's, like, below, it's still below his normal opener. Yeah. Like we, we just saw it in the gym. Yeah. He, he just hit it at RP five. Like, so so yeah. So for people with a little more. Uh, perspective yeah how do you say okay you need to have nine lifts you need to attempt nine lifts for a record to hold fine i'll sandbag all eight anyways and there'll be warm-ups well now we want a certain degree of weight otherwise like you qualified like to qualify a national record fine but a national qualified total is still a sandbag for guys at this level let me tell you something um fire off a name here fucking uh david wilson can hit a national record in his warm-ups, let alone his opener. So if you're like, your national record doesn't stand unless you hit a qualifying national total, that's below his sandbagging. Yeah. It, it, there's no way of enforcing this. About bottom line, there's no way of enforcing this. The best you could do is, what they already have the rule, your record doesn't stand unless you get a total. Yeah. That's the best you could do. That's all you can do. And here's something else. If, you, if we're going to start crying about, this is fucking wrong, this is, oh my God, it's non quote-unquote non-competitive powerlifting. And, um, you know, you want to get into, like, this happens, my friends, in every single sport. We talked about this. Yeah. I, there are teams, whether or not it's sandbagging a couple games because the placings of the playoffs, you want to play an opposing team that's favorable matched up. So guess what? We're going to bench our starters and we're going to have our juniors come up from the minors and get a little game time. They'll probably lose, but they get some, some major league experience. Our starters get rested. We'll take an L, but in leading into playoffs, we get favorable matching. Or, you know what, we're not going to make playoffs. It, it does not help us to go higher up the rankings. Matter of fact, let's bump down five you rankings. Even, you even see situations, yeah, where teams actually they're, they're set into the playoffs already, into their position. And because of whatever they're looking to be in the standings and who they're going to face, probably, yeah, they'll play with their standings that way even. And, they'll and, start tanking a little bit because they fare better against a different yeah. team. That and, and we're not talking uh, throwing games. We're just no. talking stacking the deck where, all right, we're resting all of our starters, playing nothing but our junior guys. It's on purpose. 
we're, we're drug behind it dual purpose and let me tell you something that's across all sports soccer hockey basketball football all of them yeah it is what it is non-competitive football non-competitive like, there's a you, term for it. are you gonna say like to like let's say Usain Bolt goes out he's got three meets that he's slated to do or three races that he's slated to do within we'll say six weeks of each other are you gonna tell him that he has to go out and absolutely give 100% effort for every single race I'm glad you just said this yeah can I say something I jump in with something thank you first yeah. off so the the last Olympic Games and I'm a fucking junkie for Olympics and I've already seen Bolt's autobiography so he had a showdown with our boy from Canada, from Toronto, the sixth, um, oh, Jesus, DeGrasse. Yeah. And um, Andre DeGrasse. And Andre DeGrasse and him were going to meet in the finals. And it's an unspoken thing that when, when you're racing, you don't go all out in the quarterfinals, semifinals. You go all out in the finals. And in the semifinals, and this usually doesn't happen, but it just happened to be DeGrasse and Bolt were in the semifinals. Because the reason why, only the top two in these heats move forwards, right? Yeah. They either as a quarterfinals or semis. They usually weren't going to meet that early. Usually they just converge on the finals. And they ended up meeting on their way. And DeGrasse, a little bit of, oh my God, I'm racing beside you saying Bolt, fucking pushed it. Pushed it. And turned this quarterfinal match heat into a full-on, all-out race. And Usain Bolt ended up racing beside him because he's like, I don't want to give the kid a nudge over me. This makes national news if I lose a single race. It's bigger than it really is. It's bigger than it should be. After the race, they interviewed Bolt. And he's, and they said, what do you think about the kid giving it to you, like taking it to you like that, making a fight out of it? He goes, wasn't cool. Wasn't cool. That's not how things are done. You hold back in the quarters, a little more in the semis, you go out in the finals. Yeah. Because... Yeah, you pushed me, but Gatlin on the other side didn't get pushed. And he's 100% in the finals. Me and you aren't going to be 100% in the finals. I need to be 100 to beat Gatlin. So do you. So guess what ha- What happens? Bolt beat Gatlin. DeGrasse didn't. Well, guess what, young man? You fucked yourself. Hold back. Bolt knew. Yep. Bolt knew. Hey, kid, you had your moment in the quarterfinals? Who gives a fuck about the quarterfinals? It's the finals. And this happens. So this is every sport. You pick your spots. So if you're Kathwee walking into Provincials and he's looking at like, you know what, I may or may not hit the podium, but I could be the biggest deadlifter in history. I'll fucking jog the first two heats and I will race down the last one. Catch me if you can like the gingerbread man. That shit's mine. That'd be like telling a long distance runner, you have to sprint out of the gate. And then limp into the final. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. I'll take the pace I want. Yeah. You can catch me, catch me. You want to go all night lifts? Go all night lifts. You want to build your total and still hit it? Have your pie, eat it too, whatever the shit? That's your plan. That's it's your the, It's the way our sport works. Like yeah. some people, everybody is basically a specialist. There are very few subtotal people. Yeah. And so you can't tell the squatter, don't go out there and give it all on this, but then realize that you're going to take the total off your deadlift. Yeah. 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 You can't tell a bench only guy, don't lean back on your squat a little bit and then try to build your total on bench instead. And you can't tell, like, this, the big squat. Yeah. It goes all out, takes the national record. He's gassed, but he knew he's going to empty the tank. Yeah. And he just takes, oh, fuck, I'm gassed out. I'm, my, my, my bench, my dead, they're going down yeah. by a lot. I'll still finish with a decent total. Still finish top end of the pack, but they're going down because I gassed out for the national record. People are like, you know what? You gave it all on national record and squat, and then you're gassed out. That record shouldn't hold. 
Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Listen, this is unenforceable. Stop hating. This is sports, man. It's sports. You can't tell you saying bull. You have to run sub 10, sub 10 because I know you're capable of it. Everyone else, no. Everyone else in the field, because Cathway yeah. is the only guy who could have pulled that national record. No one else in the field could have that day. So you can't tell Bolt. It's different for you in the quarterfinals. You have to rub, run sub-10, t- uh, 100-meter, because you can't. Everyone else doesn't have to, because they're not as good as you. No, man. No. It's, I, you're, the I, only I, thing you can do is hold him to the standards that you guys, that whatever governing body it is, has set. Yeah. So if you want to say that he has to hit a national qualifying total, well, tough shit. He hit a national qualifying total. Yeah, it is what it is. If you want to say that that national qualifying total should be up, then I agree. If you're yeah. complaining about the amount of lifters at nationals Different or whatever, story. Different story. And don't tell me there should be... But the fact is, raise the national qualifying total, he still would have hit it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And sandbagging. Yeah. Sandbagging is still what hit. And and um, don't tell me, oh, there should be an asterisk beside that. Because he did it in three of this. Someone else had to do a nine. Fuck off. That's just the way... That's sports, bro. You see a boxing match, if he whacks him out in the first round, or he has to go yeah. all 12 and whack him out in the 12th round, a win's a win. It is. I'm sorry. And like, it's, if it's a boxing match, if it's the Olympics, and this guy has nothing but first-round KOs, so he boxes a total of five rounds. The other guy is nothing but decisions. He boxes a total of 20 rounds. They meet in the finals. One guy's fresh as a daisy, had only boxed five. The other guy's got, well, it is what it is. You can't enforce it, bro. It's some things, this is sports. You just got to not be a control freak and realize shit happens. This is the way shit is. You can't, don't get upset about things you can't control and start trying to make up rules that aren't there. Well, there's an asterisk by that. No, there isn't. Well, there's, this is, the, it's non-competitive. That term is in your head. It's not real term. It doesn't make, that's a fake term. Non-competitive powerlift. You know what that is? It's a fucking national record is what it is. Yeah. Right? Happens everywhere. Yeah. I see the worlds too. Exactly. In every sport, by the way. No, exactly. You see it in, I said, yeah. we see it in the Olympics. You see it, whether it's baseball, whether it's football, whether yeah. it's soccer, hockey, what blah, blah, blah. Everybody ha- goes in and strategizes. Don't even talk about, like, baseball with yeah. some of these streets. They got to keep a streak going so the guy comes out and he bunts and he fucking got to keep a winning game well, streak going or whatever. You know what? Actually, even funnier is talking about stuff like that, like baseball. A few years ago, there was a, uh, a battle for a batting crown. So, you know, top batting average in the league. It was basically locked up, and the team sat the guy at the last day. He went out, did his one at bat that he needed to in order to make sure they still qualified, yeah. and then he sat the rest, of, and there was just an uproar. Yeah. Well, tough shit. You yeah. still had everything leading up until that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's yeah. Certain things, like, I like look, I love a good sports debate, so I'm not, I, I'm not mad at it, even though no. I sound mad. Yeah. I give, I'm just it's passionate. Just exactly. I'm just passionate Passion. is what it is. But, um, it, so I love sports debate, but end of the day... Don't kid yourself. Like a lot of these things, this is this is every single sport, every single level. And I see it at the world championships for powerlifting. You see a guy, he tells himself, and I don't blame it. Look at in the at the world level, you get a gold medal for squats, gold medal or a podium finish, not just gold, yeah. obviously, for all three events. If you know, hey, look at I look at the top ten. I'm gonna be eighth. I'm not even close to the to-, to the total on podium or podium on total, but I could snag a medal on deads or a medal on bench, fucking, it's a world yep. championship gold or silver or bronze. <laughs> you're going to fault that person for maybe mm-hmm. holding back on squats a little bit yeah. so you're fresh? Like, that's crazy, no, man. you can't fault a deadlift specialist or a yeah. bench specialist or anybody holding back to make sure that they'll hit what they... If you like, think you're in the hunt for three lift, go all three. Yeah. Like, are you going to tell, like, let's take the battle of 105s. Funny, given that we're 
interviewing Eli in a second. But yeah. And you're going to tell that an Eli Burke or a Kristoff, you guys have to blow it out your face on squat and bench and possibly, you know, wreck your best lift. Yeah. No, it's and a, take away your chance of pulling for a podium or whatever. And it's unenforceable. Because, you want me to because we want you to be competitive. We want that battle to be right till that point. And it's 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 unenforceable. If you want you me can't. to act like it's RB10 by making a whole bunch of funny looks, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Eli, I think he tried to call us. Let's give him a bit of a Let's ring here. call this man. So ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us Eli Burks. 105 kilo U.S. national champion, um, Eli. Thanks for coming with us. Uh, yeah, thanks. Just a few of your accolades as well. For those that don't know, Eli also 2016 IPF world champion, deadlift specialist. Um, it was a very climatic. I mean, the 105s is a beast of, the, of a division. Whether it's U.S. nationals and particularly the world championships um, since 2016. A bit has changed in terms of um, some of the characters. Do you want to talk a little bit about, maybe we'll bring it back um, to the 2015 U.S. Nationals. Who are some of the guys that you faced off with at the 2015 U.S. Raw Nationals? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, Garrett Blevins, um, Bryce Lewis, these are a couple of guys that, um, you know, certainly in 2015 kind of came down to it at Nationals. So I guess those would be the, the main guys, uh, I guess, at the time. There are a few other guys that were, you know, pretty strong and just had the knee things went well for me that year. So. And was, was Bryce at that point, was that his first year moving into the 105s? Yeah, I think it was, you know. He, um, he got third place, and I, mean, I remember him being pretty strong. I mean, he was a nice guy. You know, I always enjoyed talking to him, that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, great athlete. But, yeah, I think that was his first year moving into the 105. And then he's really kind of blossomed into the 105s. And moving into the 105s that year at the World Championships, um, I mean, you had the Canadian Bryce, Bryce Krawcheck, um, yeah. coming in uh, for a silver, a bit of a deadlift battle there between you and him. And then, yeah. um, obviously, Screamer. And he had that, uh, he came in oh so close. He had, I think he, believe he had, did he have the winning deadlift in his hands and dropped it? Yeah, he did, actually. He had a, uh... Well, I don't know if it was a winning at the time, but it's kind of what he needed um, to really be in the running. And so I think it was 7.05. And if I recall right, I think what happened was he lifted and threw the weight down or something, so they didn't count it. And then he just couldn't hold it, you know, so. Looking at it, so I I have it pulled up. Yeah, it was, uh, you're right, 7.05. I think it would have nudged him. Is my math uh-huh. 15 kilo onto 338.5? It would have nudged him into the lead. It would have just nudged him into the lead. And it was heartbreaking. I remember watching. So mm-hmm. I was commentating the IPF World Championships, watching from the sidelines, and he had it up. And I don't know if he... So afterwards, we actually ran over and said, dude, did you just throw that weight down? You know, some guys, you see them, um, yeah. you know, whether it's CrossFit style or just a little bit of a little bit of pizzazz for an Instagram video, nail a deadlift and then throw it down. And it looked like, like you said, it looked like that's what he did. But he, it looked like he did that with the winning deadlift. Could have been a world championship. And it's like, my God, man, did you just throw it away? He literally hopped off the platform and was like crying, tears coming out of his eyes immediately. Yeah. And we're like, no way that just happened. And he actually confirmed afterwards, did not throw it down. He actually bobbled at the top. And um, mm. you just couldn't hang on to it with that bobble. 
and um, and it is what it is. So we actually yeah. lost it on grip strength. Yeah. Well, I really uh, I really like him. You know, I've competed against him twice. So there, and I competed him at the at the Grand Prix in 2017 at the Arnold, and um, you know, I was able to win that, and that was a pretty good meet. But I do like him, and actually that day I was uh, hoping that he was going to come out the victor, and that he was going to throw up some good numbers and win. And yeah, I'm certainly a fan of the sport just as much as I'm a competitor. And so just knowing him going into it, um, he was coming in at a pretty good peak. And, uh, yeah, I was really hoping he'd hit some great numbers there. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty tragic uh, watching that deadlift thing uh, play out, you know. And if he would have beat me that day, I certainly would have been fine with it, you know. Really? Holy, I'm surprised you yeah. said that. You never yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, when I talk to people, uh, my perspective, it kind of, you I don't know, I throw people off or something. Ne- but. Never have ever heard somebody cheering for the other guy. I would have liked to see him win the world championship. <laughs> that's, that's, even afterwards, yeah. be like, that's too bad. That's a shame. I really yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, one of the uh, one of the biggest changes I made on um, competition day to improve my numbers, um, and I, I just had to find this out over competing in you know, many competitions, but my problem is I get so excited watching other people lift that I'll get these little adrenaline surges, you know, uh, and by the time deadlift rolls around, I am just absolutely toasted. And so for the last few years, it's really been kind of trying not to watch as much of the other lifters, trying to stay to my own, trying to control my, you know, adrenaline so that I have that energy going on into the end of the bench and through the deadlifts. Uh, so. I, I agree, like 100%. Um, the following year at the IPF uh, 2017 in Minx, Belarus, I commentated and lifted, and um, when you commentate, you can't just, like, I, I you, you've probably seen some of the IPF streams, you can't just commentate, like, it, when you're when you're just watching, you appreciate it, but you're not over-accentuating or, you know, selling the action, so to speak. When you're commentating, nobody wants to hear somebody who's monotone, well, that was a good lift, and now we have, you know, Manuel Stevens. Yeah. You have to be like, oh, he missed it on the last... Just so close to the world record. Can he come back? Like, you got to give it. You got to give it like a professional. And um, so two weeks of this, and I was lifting in the mm-hmm. open. And by the end, like, you're, you're 100% right. You, like, you have so much nervous energy in you. And you're giving mm-hmm. it. And um, it, it zaps your energy. You have only so many times you could go down into the well. And I think, yep. um, it, you know, it's funny. You said he's one of your favorite lifters, Screamer. Screamer's one of my favorite lifters. And... I've seen him on the platform and commentating. I've had co-commentary people step in with me and saying, my God, does he, is he going to be able to last? He's so much energy yeah. screaming and yep. stuff. Um, he lives up to his nickname. And I tell him, man, well, first off, you haven't seen him lift before because the guy can carry it right through to the deads. But if you see him backstage, he turns it off like a faucet. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yep. he he's like you were saying, because he's a pro. He's been doing this for 10 years. He was back when the IPA was only equipped. When yep. he goes backstage, headphones off, chilling, and totally lowers and calms himself. He only gets hyped up for that minute for, for when he's yep. about to hit the platform. And uh, just like you said, energy management is a, something that you veterans know all about. Even right down to um, you know training other athletes. We put heart rate monitors on them when I was training like these hockey players are doing these running. Mm-hmm. And even if they had music on but they're staying still, their heart rate wasn't lowering enough. 
So it's stimulation, yeah. even if not physical. So being in that arena, watching lifts, because it's like a veteran who's got PTSD. If you're in there and you see it, you can't help but relate to the feelings of hitting the platform. Your adrenaline goes up. You know, mm-hmm. you can't maintain it. Do you Do you not even watch other um, weight classes leading up to? Well, you know, so again, I guess being a fan of the sport, I always watch some of it, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, this last year at Nationals, I did show up for the night for a kilogram, and I didn't stay for the whole meet, didn't watch the whole thing. I watched a little bit, talked to some people, and really tried not to focus on it. And really just more review the recap over the weekend, you know, or, or after the meet. Yeah. That way I didn't have to worry about it as much, you know. But, yeah, certainly just controlling that energy is really just, and it's really huge, you know, for me. And when I do all my training in my home gym, um, you know, I, I never really have any adrenaline. So I'm always just relaxed. I'm usually listening to Boys to Men or some sort of 90s <laughs> R&B. And it's, you know, it's really just a relaxing, cathartic experience for me. It's kind of what weightlifting has always been. And so, you know, I never really channel any adrenaline in my home gym. And so, you know, trying to control it on days where it's competition and I've got this adrenaline I know where I'm not used to, uh, for me initially was, was difficult. I mean, it really was. And, and would, you, would you bring that adrenaline when it comes to, like, third attempt squats, be, uh, bench, and certainly deadlifts? Like, do you bring it or do you, like, like for instance, an L.S. McLean – who goes mm-hmm. up there smiling and still tries not to use adrenaline? Yeah, I certainly try to call on it on three, six, nine attempts. And uh, really, what I've been trying to do the last couple of years is actually get more adrenaline on the second attempt. Because for me, the second attempt is what builds my confidence for the third attempt. Yeah. And so it used to be I'd go and I'd have no adrenaline for the opener, um, but it usually always goes pretty smooth. I'd have no adrenaline for second attempt, but then walk off the platform thinking, hmm, that's not a little heavier than maybe it should have, you know? And then and it's just in your head, you know? And so much of it's just in the head. And Okay, I know I'm going to get this third attempt. And, you know, and, and that confidence is so important, you know? And I mean, I went up to Ben at Nationals this last year, and, you know, we did the first attempt. And I was like, all right, Ben. I was like, you know, you might not believe me. I was like, but, you know, we can squat over seven today if we need to. You know, it's like just... You keep that in mind. Like I think it's there, and I was really feeling pretty confident that day, just in my lifting in general. And that is just so huge to have that. That um, I mean, you either have it or you don't. If you don't have it, you're just kind of kind of screwed. You know? It it is. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say. So, would you say then for yourself, like lifts two, five, and eight are they're kind of yeah. the most important ones now, eh? They can in that way. I guess yeah. it kind of could be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I I, I think so. You know. It, the thing is, it's it's weird um, because you hit it. It's a bit of a conundrum. You have only so much adrenaline. You only have so mm-hmm. much gas. So you put your foot on the pedal too soon, too much for the second attempt. It's yeah. hard to come back for the third and then do it again for bench and then do it again for deads. However, mm-hmm. if that's second, and I've been there where I'm tr- trying to be calm and damned if that weight... Like, listen, there's a reason why Tommy Cano who is the American um, head coach for the Olympic weightlifting, um, has in his office incredible strength. That's what the Time Magazine cover on his wall, incredible strength. And everyone thinks, well, who is the weightlifter on the cover of that? Because he's an Olympic weightlifting U.S. head coach. Was it this guy? Was it that guy? No. It was a woman who lifted a car off her child because the adrenaline hit. 
Adrenaline is real. Mm-hmm. This is scientific. It's not yeah. hokey. It's not you know martial arts mm-hmm. chi or whatever summoning. It, it it can adrenaline is better than any pre workout you can possibly think of. So it's a tool to have and it makes a difference. So yeah, you use it in the second attempt and you're gonna be confident as hell for the third. But mm-hmm. then it's that balance, isn't it, where you're like, oh shit, I don't wanna gas out though. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, you really gotta know yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, as you hinted that, yeah, adrenaline's huge. Um, you know, and again, the physiology of it, you know, and the Golgi tendon organs and the tendons and, you know, trying to recruit more motor units and, you know, not having your brain retard and slow down the signals. And, yeah, I mean, literally, yeah, women picking up cars off their kids. And, I mean, they usually end up tearing all sorts of muscles. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, and that, that's really what powerlifting is, is try, just trying to utilize a higher percentage of those muscle fibers, you know, and through training and get your body to not again, retard that signal and be able to incorporate more muscle fibers, you know, but another thing that's been a big confidence thing for me over the time has been uh, really working with Ben, you know, um, as my coach over there at the Nova Nutrition and the strength guys, you know, and it's to the point now where I trust him so much that if he puts on a third attempt, I just know I'm going to do it, and so that alleviates a lot of that internal strain for me, where initially when you're picking your own numbers, you pick a third attempt and you think, huh, you know, can I do this or not? Yeah. But no, if Ben's going to pick it, I'm just going to be able to do it. And so and I have 100% confidence in that. So that's really made it a lot easier for me too. Um, does, does he use um, the velocity of your warm-ups? Because we had, we had Ben, we had the strength mm-hmm. guys on here. Yeah. Um, did he, does he use the velocity of your warm-ups and et cetera to pick the weights he'll use later on as well? Or is it RPE? Is it numbers given? You know, it's usually, uh, so it'll follow the, uh, some of the higher weights that I'll do leading into competition. And I don't always post all those videos, but some of them I try to get to the coaches, you know, so we can look at things. Yeah. My problem is once anything gets above 80%, it's all slow and ugly, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, to really know where 90% or 95%, if I do those, they're probably going to look very similar, you know, and then when I push 97, 98, 100%. And so really it's just kind of keeping an eye on the out, out uh, I was going to say outpatient, but that's, you know, um, outside of the, uh, outside of competition and training. And I think at this point it just kind of knows me pretty well and, and how my lifts move and that sort of thing. So we don't use velocity. Uh, I know some athletes do, and I think it's, you know, certainly there's, there's a realm for it, and I think there's utilization for it. Uh, but no, I, I don't, uh, we don't do that. It's really just kind of, we're warming up, they'll ask me how I'm feeling, and I just have an internal feel of, you know, if I'm feeling strong or not, and we kind of use that as a gauge as well. Because it's, it's so hard, so sometimes I feel like the more we know, the less we know. Like, yeah. I remember having um, the strength guys on here talking to Ben, and, and um, mm-hmm. talking about velocity training and knowing sometimes, theoretically, you might say, judging by how the warm-ups are going and the velocity of mm-hmm. them, I could kind of tell where your nervous system's at because the velocity is lower in terms of averages. But then there's also, because we're humans, and we mm-hmm. have that X factor, which makes it you know scary but fun at the same time, where when you load up, like if you pegged me on some warm-up days my god you would think i have nothing in the tank but as the weight gets heavier i put on the right song i get in the right mood whoa little shot of adrenaline just came and then whoa where the shit did that come from like that kind of stuff happens so it's it is kind of it's intangibles and then other days 
I can't find that. You could be like, well, that's Ryan. I work with him enough. He'll turn it on when he needs to. Well, some days, that's not every day, though. We're so, <laughs> you know, humans are so fucking some, tricky. Some days it's just not that. Oh, yeah. It's like following the same routine or whatever. You it's just, can't mm-hmm. bring it. And you're like, God damn it. I don't know why I can't dig and make it happen. Um, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the benefit to the velocity training. I mean, as you hinted at, I mean, some days you're just not on. I mean, if you sleep two hours a night and you're 90% and you're 95%, you're going to feel like 110, you know. And yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I think that that does come into play. And I mean, even when we're warming up, um, you know, at nationals or in the gym or anything, I guess most of my lifts are never, yeah, I'm not pulling on it 100%. Yeah, it's really more of a progressive uh, stimulation of activity just to get the bar moving. And so most of my deadlifts are all about the same speed, really. I mean, that, that sounds kind of weird to say, but, you know, when I'm doing 80, 85%, I mean, I'm just kind of pulling as hard as I need to. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, the velocity just doesn't, um, it, it's harder to, it, it kind of muddies the data, I think, a little bit. It's a little harder to interpret. You know um, but that's not true for all lifters. You, you so. know what, like, I I think you're 100%. I don't remember, even though I know you're supposed to pull the speed I mean, it makes it easier yeah. on yourself. Um, that's mm-hmm. like the formula for force, uh, mass, and yeah. distance, but it's also by speed. But I don't tell myself when I'm getting up to the top one, speed, speed, fast, no. let's go. Sometimes, just like you said, you're just going through the paces because guess yeah. what? Uh, today is the same. Like, you're going to do this five days a week, every week, every month, mm-hmm. every year for 10 years. You know, if you're right. a veteran, it kind of gets, you know, it's hard to just approach the bar every time. Yeah, I know like, some people do speed work and stuff like that, but personally? Not every single time. Like, it's it's hard to be consistent like that yeah. for 10 there's, years. There's straight. a certain weight where I hit. It's just, no matter what, it's going to be the same speed. And you're going to have uninspired, yeah. uninspired um, days. In and the even gym. if it's not the same speed, to me, it always feels the same speed. Yeah. Is it true? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so do yeah. you find so, given that you don't train, like you know, hype yourself. Are there times in your prep where you will hype yourself up for a couple singles, so you know where you're at and where to, you know, in terms of the peaking and what to expect? Because if you don't, I feel like it'd be a huge jump from numbers from prepping to the competition, wouldn't it? It is huge jumps, you know, and when we. Uh... You know, at um, the Arnold in 2017, I mean, my last deadlift there was 810. I think the heaviest I went in training before that was 715 or 720. Oh, shit. You know, and so, yeah, so it is big jumps, but I just know in my head I can do it. So, you know, it's not a huge deal. But, yeah, we do make big jumps, and that certainly gets in the head. And this year, leading into nationals, you know, I, I had in my head that I was going to probably have to do at least a 700-pound squat, you know. So I, I, I did 700 in the gym a couple times, you know, within a couple months of the competition. And it really wasn't that bad, but I did certainly try to get hyped up for it. So I had a, a buddy come over from the gym, and I, I train out by myself at home. And so it's a little harder to get intense when you're by yourself, I think. Yeah. And so I had a friend come over, and I did use an ammonia cap for it. <laughs> so I put those two things together, and kind of channel a little more adrenaline just to know where I was at. But, yeah, it is kind of tough, you know, when the heaviest you're going 620, and then you think, well, maybe I'll do 694, you know, or I'll do something like that. So, yeah, that, that definitely can be difficult. Especially when it's, it's you know, the straw that broke the camel's back where you're like, okay, if we got a judge, um, you know, within 
five kilo, it's like, oh, shit. It's, it's a bit of a crapshoot when you haven't gotten too close to it, right? Where you're like, is it 695 or is it 705? You're like, whew, that's a tough call when you haven't done anywhere close to it. Right? Like, I don't know, but every kilo matters when it's a tight race. It makes oh, it. Absolutely. It's almost like, you know, I use that analogy, like you're that gunslinger who just steps out in front of that other guy. You don't know if he's faster than you or you're faster than him. But you're going to find out when you train sub max is like a, within a hundred pounds sub max. You're kind of like, oh, sh-. when it comes that day, it leaves that anxiety like, oh, shit, I hope this isn't an off day. Well, I, you, I can't tell. You talk, yeah. about, you talk about trying to build adrenaline. That helps. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. How, yeah do, how, how do you, uh, you know, cope with the week of? Because in the U.S. Nationals is as tight as it gets. You win all mm-hmm. the way to the World Championships. The week of, how do you deal with anxiety and pressures? You know, but you know, this last national, I mean, honestly, I really didn't have any anxiety or pressure. It was kind of odd. I mean, I felt it was, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean in terms of competition or weight or anything, but it was really the easiest meet I've done in a long time, you know. And, and again, that's not competition. That's just internally, you know, how I'm feeling leading up to it. And, you know, like you said, that anxiety and, you know, performance and, yeah, you know, part of the issue was in the past, because, I mean, I've been powerlifting for a long time, you know, and this goes back to when I was at University of Missouri and as a, the uh, president of our strength club, and we'd host push-pulls, and, you know, we'd do some local meets, and, you know, just kind of some, some tested competitions, that kind of stuff, and for me, going into competition, it was always, you know, I hope I win this meet, and those sort of things, and, you know, but in 2015, when I really got that taste of victory nationally, and I mean, I've been going to nationals for a long time and winning, like, the junior and, you know, that sort of thing, which means a lot more now than it did, you know, back, yeah. you know, nine years ago, of course, when there's a lot less competition than there is today. But uh, I think now the problem is, you know, once you're used to performing well on the podium uh, and that sort of thing, you kind of expect and you hope that you're going to do that again. I think that puts a lot of stress on the competitions that wasn't there eight or nine years ago. You know, there's a lot of guys that go to national if they get 65th place. I mean, that, that's fine. Like, that's good. You know, like, it's, it's some PRs. It's not a big deal. No one cares. But for me, if I went and got, you know, 22nd place, it would just kind of be crushing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so to, to get to that level where now there's expectations, I think, is kind of difficult. And so coming out of the world in 2016, honestly, I was so burnt out at the time with all that that, um, yeah, I didn't compete in 17. And, Instead, what I did was I did a strongman nationals, you know, and kind of focused a little more on that for a little bit, um, you know. So I don't know. I think that's kind of tough, and I think whenever I fall out of being competitive nationally, I think that's probably when I stop lifting, you know, or competing at least. So I don't know. did you? So to make it easier, you said this nationals was probably easiest mentally, anyways. Uh, not, yeah. not physically, not competition-wise, but mentally in terms of how you handle the pressure. However, um, this Nationals, you, the competition was probably the deepest because year after year it just gets harder and harder. Probably the most yeah. the most viewers because every year more and more people come in. Um, mm-hmm. Podcasts like us have preview shows and like the yeah. more, not even just streams, but the more powerlifting in general gets bigger you know, the more mm-hmm. pressure. So it's interesting that this was the one you felt the less pressure. What changed in terms of your perspective? Is it that, you know, given that you did win the IPF World Championships, did that alleviate being, hey, look, no matter what happens, 
I retire with that and now it's all gravy? Or, you know, what what was the perspective that kind of changed for you to alleviate it despite the fact that all other indications, I mean, you could look at the other way and be like, as an IPF world champion returning, the expectations are bigger on you as more viewers, uh, more heated competition. So could have went the other way. Uh, for you personally, how did you turn that around? Yeah, so I'd say three things. One, you're right. So, you know, winning a world title in 2016 and having some success at the Grand Prix and at the Arnold previously and those sort of things. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like there's not, yeah, I, mean, I feel like I've already accomplished, I guess, what I want to accomplish. So there's that alleviation. The second part was with my coach and with Ben. And, you know, at this point, and when I started working with them, I mean, like I said, that trust is kind of there, but now it's completely there. And it really just throws me in a whole different realm of mental perspective when it comes to competition, warming up and all that, uh, that I didn't have initially, even though I trusted him more than I trusted myself, you know, the program. And my programming was not great, you know, before 2015. And I deadlifted every other week, you know, I squatted once a week. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't great programming. But, um, you know, the third thing is I was just healthier than I'd ever been, and that was huge for me. And usually as we take bench to three days a week, and then ideally four days a week prior to competition, I always get tendonitis in my pack. You know, I mean, before every competition for the last three years, I mean, I took off at least four or five weeks, really, from benching, you know, just because I, I can't handle the volumes, you know. And I also try to throw in shoulder presses that are outside the programming and, you know, stuff that just doesn't work. And so... You know, the numbers we were planning to do at Nationals, I felt really comfortable with. And honestly, the numbers we had for squat, bench, and deadlift, they were all um, higher than what I ended up squatting, benching, and deadlifting. And so I prepared mentally to do, you know, a heavier squat, a heavier bench, a heavier deadlift. And then at the competition, find out, okay, let's start third attempt. You know, let's get this. This is, you know, 10, 15 pounds less than we planned to do. Like, that just felt so easy at the time, you know. So preparation was good. I was healthy, you know, in 2015 when I won nationals, I mean, nine months before, you know, I'd torn my distal bicep on my left arm, and so I had surgery, and I didn't even deadlift for four or five months, you know, so that, yeah. that was kind of hard, but, but, you know, I squatted a lot, my squat shot up, you know, just because I was dealing with, you know, essentially a brace on my left arm for months, you know, but, uh, so I was just healthy, you know, I, I think that was a big aspect of it, and when I was healthy, I was just confident, and I mean, you know, a lot of other competitions I go into, and even when I'm benching, like, it just kind of hurts. And so I'm just thinking about the pain sometimes and not necessarily the weight. It just throws you off. So I guess those are kind of the three things that helped ease me into the competition. Yeah, and did, did you, in terms of leading into a competition like that, and you got the big guns that are coming out in the 105s, uh, like Blevins, Ben Rice, etc. Mm -hmm. did you follow them on social media? Do you pay attention um, do you look at where you think they're coming in to game plan or do you kind of let your coaches do that? And it's kind of like, look, I don't want to see it. It just brings added drama. I would prefer to focus on myself and let the strength guys do the scouting as well as attempt selection. You know, how involved do you like to get with all that? Yeah. So I, uh, certainly follow them on social media. I talk to them every now and then I have a general idea of where they're at. Uh, and I like it that way, you know, and before 2015, I, mean, I didn't have any social media, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch people on YouTube, Yeah, you know, I just show up to nationals, I had no idea who was going to be there, what they're going to do, 
Yeah. And it really wasn't until I was sponsored by SVD and they're like, oh, you know, you should get an Instagram or something. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea, you know. And I've really enjoyed that because it's made me feel a lot more connected to the powerlifting community, which I really like. Um, so, yeah, so again, this year, so Garrett, he's super strong, right, you know, and, and he's got a, just this ton of potential, and I know he's a strong guy. And um, same thing with Ben Rice, I mean, his progression was, it was so fast, and he's gaining so much strength over the last year, and that's really fun to watch, you know. And it, again, it's one of those things where if I would have got second or third, I would have, I would have been okay with it. Like that's, that's fine, you know. And, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't watch their third, sixth, ninth attempts, you know, as a fan, you know, not so much as a competitor. But yeah, I leave the uh, the number selection up to Ben for sure. And uh, yeah, he watches stuff, and he, he's got a better idea than I do of what they're going to put together on the platform, um, just from his coaching eye and that sort of thing which seems to be just pretty accurate and so i just put the trust in his numbers and uh, i'll let him determine what he thinks they're going to do and what i'm going to do and and that sort of thing just like i said trusted but i certainly follow them i think they're great lifters i think there's a ton of strength there and you know certainly fun to compete with them yeah because there is um i mean there's that balance where you know there's following someone for motivation but then there's also getting in your own head where, like, you know, for instance, um, if you're eight weeks out and you don't like to lift too much adrenaline in, in terms of prep, and this is the way mm -hmm. that's always worked for you. You won national titles, world titles like this, and you're just squatting with certain weights, deading with certain weights, and it's comfortable. But then you start paying attention to what these other boys are doing. And they're not the type. That's not their training style. And they like mm -hmm. to hype up. And they're smashing bigger weights. You can somewhat put pressure on yourself. Again, yeah. as a seasoned lifter, you might know, okay, I got to stay in the pocket. But as a human, mm -hmm. you're like, damn it, he's squatting, you know, late sixes on a regular basis, <laughs> hitting singles. And all of a sudden, you're yeah. like, I got to start keeping up. And that's where it's a it's a catch-22 with that social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think it can put a ton of pressure on the lifters and – you know, yeah, for example, I mean, I'm doing a ton of, I mean, on my deadlifts, the heaviest deadlifting I'm doing now is, you know, 645. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing it for, you know, sixes or eights or whatever, but I mean, I'm not going very heavy. You know, I do my deadlifts a couple times a week, and same way with my squats, you know, the heaviest I'm doing now is, you know, 540 or 550, you know, for reps. But yeah, these other lifters are posting videos, and they're doing, you know, 650 pause squats, you know, and 750 yeah. for, you know, double deadlifts, and yeah, it's, it's just not... It's just not how I train, I guess, is kind of thing, you know, so it's, it's different, you know, um, but, but I know that at the end of the day, on the platform, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, I mean, I don't know what I could have pulled at that meet, you know, I mean, I, I recall in my head, you know, the third attempt feels easier than the second, but that's not super unusual for me to feel that way, even if it doesn't look easier, again, that's just kind of the adrenaline and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the mode, but, I mean, honestly, in 2006, 17, you know, I went to nationals and I attempted 848 on the last deadlift. And honestly, I went into the lift and I, was, I felt pretty confident about it. I mean, I never tried that weight. The most I'd ever done was 825, but I thought, you know, if I can hold it, I can lift it, you know, it, whatever. And I just couldn't hold it at the time. So, you know, that wasn't ideal. But so I've been focusing on the grip and, and you know, if I can believe in my grip, I can believe in the lift. So. I don't know. It's hard to put together what I'm doing in training to tie to what I can do in competition. But again, you know, that's, that's Ben's realm. That's why I have a coach, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. I just trust them to do it. So that's one of the biggest keys when you have 
a coach that'll decide that and you take away that emotional factor. So when you look yeah. at other people's what other people are doing, you're like, oh my god, Amanda Lawrence is squatting mm-hmm. the same weight as me or more. Uh, you're, and yeah. you're like, should yeah. I be squatting more? This is, you know, I have to load the bar more. Whereas if you have a coach and you know he's good and he knows you and blah blah blah, it's like just try take your mind out of it. Just appreciate, okay, these people are lifting what they are. You see their highlights. You don't see their behind the scenes. You're matching your behind the scenes with their highlights. Your highlights are going to be on the platform and your total is going to be great. Just stay in the pocket. And that's where a coach can at least take that pressure and be analyzing. Mm -hmm. Because when you start, I mean, you could be an amazing lifter. You start coaching yourself. It's so easy to turn into like a, a emotional wreck and just make emotional decisions based off of what you see other people do. Yeah. Absolutely, you know, and so before Nationals in 2015, uh, so I went into that meet, and I squatted 650, and I think that, that was what I wanted to do, was the 650, and, and so my prep and squats leading up to that was every week for six weeks before, I just worked up to a 650 single, and that was it, you know, and that was just kind of how I did my squats, and, you know, I just, even going into Nationals, like, okay, you know, I did this every week for the last six weeks, I wonder if I can do this, I don't know, am I as strong, am I you know, weaker, did I sleep as well, I mean, all these variables, and it just gets in your head when you do them programming, you know, and there's a lot of coaches out there, I'm not sure I'd necessarily trust everyone to do my programming, yeah. but, yeah, I mean, having a coach that you trust, and you know, and you use, and over time, you get to know each other, uh, as you hinted at, it's just kind of, it's huge, you know, I mean, it really is, you know. It's, it's one of those, so. when you try to do it yourself, and um, so you, you do that, you do like, I want 650. So for six yeah. weeks straight, I hit 650, and it worked, yeah. it worked out for you, but um, it could be like you left your best in the gym. Yeah. Like you it could, beat. It could, no, yeah. oh, you know <laughs> what? And I tell you what, I would do that every single competition. Yeah. That was part of the reason why I wanted to, to get a coach is because I couldn't peek out, you know. And I, I would literally peek out three or four weeks before a competition. Yeah, I'd be doing these benches in the gym or these deadlifts, and, you know, things would just be going well, and... Yeah, it was weird at the time. It was, you know, usually whenever I could max out in the gym on a deadlift, I could usually do about 50 more pounds in competition. So that was hard to gauge. And then squats, you know, I could squat more in the gym, you know, a few weeks before competition. I just couldn't peak, you know, and it would end up just destroying my total. You know, I go seven for nine, six for nine, and you're losing over 100 pounds on your totals because I take huge jumps. I just couldn't put it together on meat day was a big issue. And I think that's where some people are really good about, uh, some people aren't as good about, but I think that's where coaching comes into play, you know, really taking a nine for nine and getting some smart numbers and maximizing your total. Where, you know, I mean, these days, man, at nationals, if you go eight for nine, you don't win, you know, it's over, you know, I mean, it just is, you know, because the numbers are so close and and these top performing athletes, they are going nine for nine or eight for nine, you know, with a couple heavy attempts to try to secure the competition on squat bench or deadlift, you know. And thankfully for me, it's just on deadlift. It's at the end of the meet. So ideally, I'm eight for nine going into the last lift. But, you know, I mean, if I pick the wrong squat and I go two for three on squats, then that's it. It's over. The whole competition's over, you know. So, again, Evan, Jason, and Ben's been really nice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that it's a lot easier to program for someone else because you're not emotionally attached to numbers, you're mm-hmm. not scanning up and down what everyone else is doing to the and, and obsessing like that. 
you just you step in the side yeah. so you can program for other people. Then when you try for yourself, it's a whole nother ball game. Uh, it is. I try to explain that to other people where it's like, really, you get a coach, but you've been doing this 10 years. Man, it like if you're not in there, you don't realize how obsessed a lifter can get with numbers. It can get scary. You can think, oh, about, yeah. you can think about it every day, all the time. It's like, whoa, I got to stop. I got to Here's, yeah. another, here's another thing you realize the older you get, the longer you've been in the game. Balance is a good thing. When you have, um, I know, like, you know I mean? you got a wife. I think you got a family as well. No, I don't. Actually, I'm, uh, I'm engaged now. So, okay, engaged. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. But, uh, yes. yeah, she's great. I mean, and I don't have kids. And I think probably in 2020, I think, you know, we're probably going to try to have a kid and that, that sort of thing. And you I think it, it was just You heard be, it here first, people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. This is the first thing we've ever heard of it. Actually, your, so. your wife's yeah. like, oh, yeah. like, groundbreaking. Okay, I didn't, I didn't your wife's life, yeah. Breaking news. Yeah, but yeah, but my uh, yeah, my my issue for the longest time has just been sleep. You know, I mean, honestly, that that's the big kicker. You know, I mean, I, I work a lot, and yeah, you know, I'm the director of medicine up here, and yeah, I mean, last night I worked a twelve hour shift, and I slept for three hours and here we are doing the interview and I'm just going to be up all day until I go in for the night shift, you know, and so sleep is just, gosh, you know, it's just hard for me to get, it's hard for me to do. And you know, once I have kids, it's going to be that much harder. You know I mean? I don't know if I'll be able to continue really lifting like this, you know, I mean, you know, I'll probably go more to squat bench deadlift once a week or something, you know, and, and kind of stop competing, honestly, once that stuff happens because, Balancing life and lifting is just difficult enough, you know, and then when you throw in, you know, I don't know, you always feel like you're failing at something, you know, I mean, I think people that succeed generally feel that way, you know, um, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, for the record, I don't feel like I'm failing at stuff, that's not what I meant, but you, you know what I mean, so. Yeah, well, you yeah. always, well, here's something that's true that I've noticed, uh, me and Paul were actually talking about this earlier, mm-hmm. um, whenever one thing's going good in life, if it's professional, you know, you might mm-hmm. have issues on relationship because, hey, guess what? You're not home enough. You're not giving this enough. Okay, so now you're home a lot um, and you're working a lot, but now you're not training because you had to do this. Or, you know, there's oh, life isn't, you, you only have so much in the tank to give and you can't do it all. And there's always something that you need to improve on and that's life. Like that's just the way yeah. it is. And um, not only that, let's say everything's moving great you win the worlds, you're still like, damn, I, I can move the dead more and I know it. Or, ah, uh-huh. I missed that squat. Yeah, I won, but, you know, there's always something that, yeah. Yeah, it's always something. It is what it is. I mean, it's, it's never ending. That's life, you know? Yeah. How do you how do you find yourself then, if you're, like, you're working a very demanding career, obviously, your training's demanding, so how do you go about balancing the lack of sleep with your lifting? Yeah, how's your life balance? How, how do you manage that? Or, or is this kind of your... Weightlifting helps you relieve the stress. Oh yeah, so I mean, weightlifting for me is, you know, like I said, it's it's cathartic. I mean, it's what de-stresses me and you know helps keep me level amongst other aspects of my life. You know, um, now I I'm a big proponent of sleep and people need sleep. You know, and it, I mean, there's a million reasons why, but you know, usually it's one of those things where I work enough that. I don't have a ton of time off, and so I'd rather be awake doing things than sleeping, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I, yeah. I feel like I'm just sleeping the day away every day. Um, and so that, for sure, is a struggle. Um, and Amber's been really good about it. And so she hasn't known anything about powerlifting, and she, she'd never even really heard of it. You know, until we started dating. 
And uh, I think she's heard of it, but she's never been to a. Sh- I mean, honestly, nationals this year is the first competition she'd ever been to. You know, but and there's certainly yeah, there are certainly days where I have you know six sets of eight on squat. I just say to her, I'd say, you know, I don't feel like working out tonight. You know, and then she'd say something like, well, then don't like just go for a jog. You know, I'm like, well, it's not really the same thing. You know, like, <laughs> so, like I. Like, I wish I could go for a 10-minute jog and that replace my squat workout, you know. Yeah. But, um, so, and it is easier, you know, you see some guys in there, you know, girlfriends or, you know, their best friends or powerlifters, and it, it's more of a, a team or a relationship building activity where they work out together. And I, mean, I think having that sort of support is probably nice, you know, when it comes to that life balance, um, obviously, you know. And people that are, you know, bodybuilders that go through extreme you know, diet adjustments to shred down. I mean, they need someone that's going to understand that and be able to oh, deal yeah. with it and, you know, those sort of things. And so I think powerlifting is pretty similar when you get to that level where, you know, you're really needing to squat three or four days a week. And that might mean, you know, you go, go I mean, some days I might leave for work at 5 in the morning, get back at 7.30 at night, and then, you know, squat or work out, and then by the time you're done, it's just time to go to sleep. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the whole day, you know. And when you're trying to build these relationships with important people in your life, uh, something's something's going to strain, you know. Uh, maybe not strain, but something's lacking, you know. Yeah. Maybe we should have more time to, you know, talk to people on the phone or, you know, eat dinner, you know, with your significant other or cook dinner. And, you know, so it, it's a constant trade. of It's just an opportunity cost thing, really, you know. Well, yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, you, you have, absolutely. like, you feel guilty because it's... Um, yeah, you do. You know, you yeah. And, and it's, I mean, at the same time, like you got to live your life. So it's not like anyone wants you to give up your hopes and dreams. That's half the reason why they're with you. Even if she didn't, yeah. even if she wasn't into powerlifting, the fact that you are mm-hmm. so driven and passionate about something, regardless whether, like, l- listen, I, I met my girlfriend and now is my wife and she yeah. threw powerlifting. But regardless if it was powerlifting, it was the fact that she had drive, mm-hmm. dedication, discipline. These are attractive qualities. So she yep. also probably doesn't want you to, you know, change who you are, just be a regular Joe Schmo. Now, when you started dating, though, um, were you? Did she date you after you were a world champion? Yeah, she did. Oh, so you had to catch her up and be like, "Baby, was, yeah. do you know who <laughs> I am? <laughs> do you, do you yeah, know yeah. who you're dealing with? <laughs> I want you to Google this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah, start sending her YouTube weird. links. Actually, shows up to the first date wearing a gold medal. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You, yeah. you got to You got to catch up quick. You, you got. <laughs> yeah. You're a lucky yeah. girl. You're a lucky girl now. Yeah. You better start yeah. appreciating it's, what you got. It's middle of dinner. He unbuttons one button and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, 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 I sleep I, in boxer briefs and, and a medal of choice. That's yeah, that's, right. That's, that's right. Yeah. She's like, I well, can't. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's funny because I don't uh, I don't really talk much about um, you know powerlifting you know around the hospital or acquaintances you know and so it's one of those things where you know if you don't just know it about me you just won't know it you know and so you know it's just, it's getting closer to competition you know and I'm telling her like oh you know like I you know I mean everyone has little doubts and those sort of things and and I'm not sure she really understood, you know, what, what it means to me from a, like a psychological standpoint. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, she didn't even know that I was really a world champion, you know, I don't think. I mean, I've got, you know, the, the metal. I mean, I did frame some of the stuff downstairs, but it's not really something I talk about, you know. And I mean, I'll talk to, you know, Bryce Lewis. You know, I might call him on the phone and we'll talk. Or I'll talk to, you know, certain people. And, yeah, you know, I'm from Missouri. And back in Missouri, I mean, 
I mean, all my friends knew me as this guy that, you know, did a lot of sports and, you know, competed in powerlifting and that kind of stuff. And, you know, med school and residency and, you know, Nebraska. And then when I moved here to Wisconsin, it was really just for a job. And so it kind of reset all my local friends and everything. And so it's just something that I don't really talk about, you know. And so, you know, in other scenarios or circles, you know, people kind of bring it up. We talk about it and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the the feel's just kind of been different since I've moved, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it's yeah. just different, you know. Every now and then someone will come up in the hospital and they'll say, oh, you know, I hear you lift weights. You know, I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. I, I like to lift weights. Yeah. 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 I think it's fun, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not really something that I lead with in conversations or anything, you know. So, I mean, I think she understood that I lifted weights, but I don't think she really understood what powerlifting's been to me for the last decade, you know. So It's, it's- I was going to say, I mean, you're a 105-kilo guy. I mean, if you can't tell that you lift weights, there's another problem. Like, yeah. No, oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's crazy yeah. that for these people at work who have no idea, like, mm-hmm. you know, just to be, like, it's, it's to think there's a guy beside you who's like a world champion in the sport. And this isn't a small sport. This is a for no. real global, like, we got Algeria yeah. fielding teams. Like, this is, you know, like... Sri Lanka fields teams like this is a yeah. real global sport not one of these well I'm world champion at water polo who the fuck plays water polo right yeah. you can't be yeah. my friend if you I play mean, water yeah. polo that's just the way that's my that's how I cut people and you just pissed off all yeah, the water polo right. players who listen to <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just yeah. destroyed our They're market like, hey listen in our sponsorship, well, we're actually an Olympic sport ass. That's right. That's yeah. We're going to have that over for you guys. That's right. I'd probably, but, yeah, I'd probably be a lot worse at water polo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, no, uh, I know what you mean. But yeah, it's just amazing to think like you go to work and there's a dude beside you who has this. It also is, you know, part of it, it's kind of, you know, when you're prepping for nationals, yeah, if she wouldn't know and you're feeling... Yeah, it's totally normal. Like, it's, you're, you wouldn't be feeling anything unnormal. You know, ah, I'm having pr- trouble sleeping or little things. Mm-hmm. Um, she might be like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Raina? What, what, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. And you're like, yeah. hey, listen, this is normal. It's the way it is. Where everybody, you know, even just sports in general, you, you kind of get it. You're like, look, I've been there. It's all good. Like, this, is, this comes and goes. And you even know that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, for someone who doesn't know, it's a bit of a trip to see somebody not acting the way they normally do and, like, to be like, what's yep. uh, what's going on? You okay yep. there? It's like, yeah, no, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. We've been yeah. here before. But I guess it does mean a lot to have guys like a Bryce Lewis, which, oddly enough, you would compete against to reach out, mm-hmm. which is unique to our sport, too, I feel like, in ways. Yeah. Yeah, and given the type of guy you are, you're probably rooting for him to actually beat you in competition. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes it you know, easier. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not yourself because you're worried about Bryce all week. Yeah, God, honey, I just hope he wins. I don't I was know. Watching his Instagram, is he is he sleeping well? He seemed like he yeah. 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 I'm gonna call him. I'm calling. So him. good. Yeah, you're like, honey, you yeah. called him three times today to make sure yeah. he's okay. Relax. <laughs> yeah. Performance well, anxiety I mean, for Bryce. Yeah, I mean, there's a time where, you know, Amber's just like, hey, you know, you, you seem kind of stressed out, you know. And, and you know, so we, we've had conversations. I mean, I think now she understands kind of how lifting and, you know, the psychological aspect on me and, you know, how, how it impacts me to get bad workouts instead of good workouts yeah. or miss too many workouts. And yeah. I, mean, I think now she's got a pretty good understanding how that impacts me and it really helps with her role of support. You know, but it, it, it's hard to really accept and understand something that you've never felt like that. Yeah. 
and, and she's done good with it. And yeah, I had a girlfriend in high school that just didn't get it, you know. And she's like, oh, you know, why did you work out? We should just hang out every night, you know. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's kind of something I do. You know, so it really isn't something that jives in every workout or every relationship, you know. But, um, yeah, so. I've been there. Been there, my friend. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of your next meet, are you doing Arnold's or are you just going to hang in there and, and just peek in for Worlds? So I think hang in there and peek for Worlds is the big thing. And yeah, I've been so healthy that I want to continue that. I want to continue the uh, just the, the training. And uh, yeah, I don't mind going this length of time without competing. I mean, between this Nationals I just did, the last Nationals, I mean, I, I didn't compete anywhere in between, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really like doing the Arnold. I'd say it's my favorite meet every year to do, you know. But it's just a lot of it's a lot of stress. It's a little bit of hassle here and there. And uh, if I did anything there, I was going to do just the deadlift only, you know, and try to do like a you know like an eight thirty, eight thirty five, something like that, and just kind of see how things go and try, try to peek out more for that. But I think it just makes most sense with my schedule, not just with work and life, to kind of not do the Arnold this year and just focus more on world's preparation. Yeah, it totally... And I talked to Ben about that, of course, and this is, you know, I talked to a few people about it, and um, and this is just kind of what we decided probably makes the most sense. It's kind of like... So, uh, like, I 100% agree. If you can't 100% commit, if your life is crazy stacked, it's going to cause more stress, and um, Mm -hmm. you can lead into worlds and just, like, pick your spot, so to speak. Because if you're not coming in 100%, and you don't have the showing you want, like in sports in general, positive, positive momentum and negative momentum are real. You, it's hard to mm-hmm. say why in a football game, basketball game, whatever, you see momentum. Like it's, a, it's intangible, but it's there. All of a right. sudden, if somebody's roaring back from a deficit, even though they're behind, it's the team in the lead for some reason are on the back foot. And if they tie it up and go into OT – you know the team that tied it up and pushing into OT have momentum. You feel it. Yep. And it, it's um, it's there. So whether it's training and somebody's like, should I do this meet in between? And you have a feeling this person's not fully committed. I always would suggest don't do it. Hold back. If you're not 100, don't have a bad meet. Create that momentum. Or even within a competition, yeah. if you have a rough squat, I, have, I lower the bench. Have them kill that bench opener. Have them kill mm-hmm. the second attempt. Then we're back Definitely. on track for the third. But don't stick to it and like fucking grind out your bench after you just got one for three in squat. And now you got nowhere to go yeah. to the bench. And it's like, oh, even if you finish lower, successfully hitting attempts, even if it was lower than previous, mm-hmm. sometimes the lifters aren't paying attention anyways. All they know yeah. is, all they know is I'm going to deads. I'm back on track. I've, I've, I've nailed some good attempts and, you know, yep. like it's just momentum. So I 100% agree. I mean, especially with sports, this, this podcast is kind of turning into the psychological aspect yeah. of it, but it's huge. Yeah. You know, it's oh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No chase, no point chasing bad money, as they say. So looking at the worlds then, um, and mm-hmm. some of the competitors you'll be facing now, did you watch the battle of the one Oh fives at the IPF worlds, uh, this year in Calgary, last year in Calgary? Yes. And, a lot of the same players are going to be there this year, and Ooh. I'm assuming um, our Polish friend is going to be coming in 100%. I know in Calgary, he didn't have the greatest of showings, um, yeah. and he's coming in hot, hell of a deadlifter like yourself, and then obviously we got uh, Bryce Krawcheck, 
a rematch between mm-hmm. you guys from 2016. We got like, uh, is Garrett going to make the team? Uh, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard anything about that yet, so I, I don't know. Um, maybe, you know, and it just, it kind of depends on where his total fit in with Worlds last year. And I mean, there's a little selection process that goes into it, but I don't know. I mean, I'd love for him to make it. Obviously, it'd be awesome to, you know, be there with him and be on the platform with him again. I think that'd be great. Uh, but I, I don't know just yet. So, so there'll definitely be anyways. Um, like it's gonna, the competition's gonna be thick. What are, yeah. What is your thoughts leading into this 2018? You know, what what are you kind of expecting from the different competitors? Expecting from yourself, other than you're probably rooting for Vrzbecki. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Well, I Rondell Hunt. Yeah, Rondell Hunt. There's another guy, yeah. Rondell Hunt. Is going into the open. I don't know if you caught his junior. Did you catch his performance in the juniors? I did. Yeah. I I called that one uh, with Tom Keen as a commentator, uh-huh. and I didn't see him coming. Neither did Tom Keen. Neither did a lot of people. And holy smokes, we're like, who the hell is this guy? Ended up having a total bigger than anybody in the open, and uh, just put on or just ran a show. Had him on the podcast. Had to. And he's like, yeah, I'm yeah, coming oh, into the course. open. It's going to be a hell of a showdown. Um, so, yeah, what are some of your thoughts leading into this Worlds? Yeah, well, first off, yeah, Rundell, he, uh, he's strong. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's one of those things where, you know, when we did Nationals in 2016, or, I mean, uh, Worlds, it was one of those things where qualifying totals, um, it just so happened my, I had the highest qualifying total, but I knew in my head I probably wasn't going to win, you know. And even, even the coaches are like, all right, you're like, like, we have a good day to get you on the platform, you know, on the podium, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. You know, let's put together a good meet and just kind of see what the outcome is and see how it goes. And I've been to enough meets where, you know, people miss attempts and it changes the whole feel. You know, yeah. you see that national, saw it Worlds in 2016. I mean, almost every competition, you know. And so it's hard to get – and, you know, but one example where someone pulled through and didn't choke, you know, it's, you know, uh, 2017 Nationals, you know, with Bryce Lewis, you know, I mean, he put together, he went nine for nine, and we were just kind of going nine for nine, and trying not to push it too hard, and just, you know, if he missed the lift, uh, give us a good window, if he didn't, you know, that sort of thing, and it just so happened, he just put together this awesome meet, and had some of the tank, you know, and did really good, so, it's hard for me to predict how people are going to do at Worlds, Um, you know, I don't know, so I guess the plan just show up, and you know, put together our best nine for nine, just see how things go. And honestly, I'm not going to worry about it too much. You know, I'll probably call some of the lifters, see how things go. I'm hoping they have good meets. I'm hoping they don't, you know, lose worlds because they went seven for nine and, you know, tore a callus or did something stupid. Or, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm always hoping that that stuff doesn't happen. And just whoever the strongest person is should win. And that's all there is to it. That doesn't always happen, though, just the way the numbers play out and everything. But uh, I think that's how it should ideally happen. And, and, you know, if I'm not the strongest one there, I'm fine with that. I mean, I definitely like to podium and get a medal and that kind of stuff. And yeah. If I won, I mean, that would be ideal for me. I mean, I guess I'd want for that to happen, but I mean, I'm also realistic. I understand that, uh, you know, some people might just be stronger on competition day and that's, that's fine, you know, but so again, just being healthy, going in with confidence. Um, yeah, that's kind of the best we can do, I guess. It's funny you said about Bryce being so consistent, um, at the IPF yeah. worlds for 2018, uh, or actually, you know what? I think IPF World Championships 2017, I dubbed him Mr. Consistency. Because not, yeah. uh, not only is he like pretty much, you know, yeah, in the day of specialists here and there, this guy's a specialist in dead, this guy's a specialist in bench. Mm-hmm. He seems to be like equally solid in all three, which is yeah. kind of weird. So 
I mean, he can miss mm-hmm. a squat. It's not the end of the day because he's world record bencher and yeah. dead. So it's <laughs> yeah. okay. Whereas, yeah. um, you know, Versbecki, if his dead leaves him, he's in trouble, which we kind of saw in yeah. Calgary. And um, so Lewis, mm-hmm. not only is he spread out with his strengths, but yeah, he doesn't miss many lifts. Damned if he doesn't miss, mm-hmm. you know, in 2017, I think he missed one in 20 at the Worlds. In 2018, I think, did he miss a single one? 2018, no, he went nine for nine. He's very, yeah. He's, yeah. he literally is Mr. Consistency. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, I do think you're right in that. Coming in with that temperament, look it, I'm going to stay in the pocket. I'll hit the numbers within my means on that given day, and you know you could deadlift. If I got a pull for a podium, if we think it's too big, I pull for silver. If it's there, we pull for gold. And that's kind of where a deadlifter has that ability to somewhat relax until the deads come and see how the battle is unfolded and take it from there. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a bench or squat guy, a lot of your fighting is done ahead of time, and then it's all up here. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the beauty. Um, of course, we got Verzbecki from Poland, who previously mm-hmm. I mean, had some much better showings. And then in 20, uh, 2018, um, he definitely had a subpar. I mean, it just wasn't uh, wasn't on the snuff. So we'll see what he does. And then Rondell Hunt. I mean, it's going to be a blast. I can't. I'm going to be calling it again this this year. In I Sweden. can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it's going to going to be. We'll do a preview show again. Uh, maybe we'll have you on closer to or whatnot. But. Uh, Absolutely love like the 105s is is one of the best divisions to watch. I would love if Screamer came back, but he's doing his martial arts journey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems so. It kind of is what it is. Who else do you watch? Are you a fan that you're a fan of? Uh, let's see. Um, yeah, I like watching Atwood. You know Taylor Atwood. Yeah, he, he's a great lifter. Yeah, really like watching him. Um, I, there are a few guys, there are probably five or six guys that I follow closer, you know, uh, Dennis Cornelius, really like watching him, you yeah. know, and, and he, he's the reason I didn't go 120 this year, you know, I was, I was going to go to 120 and I was talking to him and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to compete. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do 105 then, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of how that went, a, you know, and, and then for a little bit, I was up to, you know, 245, kind of gaining some weight, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll go back down to 105, yeah, sounds yeah, good, yeah. yes. Stay in my lane, you know. But yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I like watching him. I really like watching uh, a lot of strongmen, really. You know, so uh, yeah, I follow, uh, you know, Brian Shaw. You know, I mean, there are a few guys I like to watch. Um, probably fifty fifty strongman powerlifting. Um, you know, I guess it's kind of the kind of the mix. But um, you know, there, there's certainly a, a few guys I watch. I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I'll just get on fitness and just kind of watch some some different powerlifting from powerlifters I don't know, you know, that sort of thing. Just kind of see how people are doing, see what forms are looking like and <laughs> that kind of stuff. But One thing that we noticed doing this podcast, I mean, some guys that you or girls you don't, you wouldn't think, just have some crazy stories. Yeah. And just have some, yeah. like, inspirational, you uh-huh. know, you're like, oh, damn, all of a sudden you're a fan, like Julius Maddox, James Key. There's some people we've had on, CC Holcomb, her story, like, you know, some of the people we've had on, and they just drop a bombshell about their story. And you're like, this is like a Netflix special. You would not, you can't even believe this is real, some, where some of these people yeah. come from. And um, you're immediately a fan. And, um, I mean, that's one of the privileges we have in running this podcast from week to week. But, yeah, I know what you mean, where sometimes you get some gems. If you're looking for some motivation or some inspiration, um, it's out there if you look for it. Um, listen, we've had you for about an hour here, and I don't know... You know, your time is precious. 
before we let you go, is there anybody you want to thank? And um, do I don't know if you do coaching, if you want to let people know how they can find you on social media um, and contact you either for coaching or just to watch you training and follow your journey? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I guess first off, I uh, do not do coaching. I'm okay. not really interested in doing it. Oh, yeah. Fair <laughs> yeah, enough. Because yeah, everybody yeah. else is so busy. And yeah, yeah I, I feel like uh, not, not always the best lifters make the best coaches. You know, I think that they're both important. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do like the strength guys using them. And I'd say, you know, if you're looking for coaching, I'd, you know, use, use them. Um, yeah, I think the AI that Garrett Blevins has out is pretty great. And one, actually, one of the hospitals I work with, he just started working with Blevins uh, with Skynet, and that's going pretty well. I mean, I think there's a lot of good training platforms out there. And I just mentioned two, but I mean, there, there's a bunch of different ones. So I'm not yeah. trying to leave anyone out. You know, I mean, what Bryce is doing is great and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so definitely like to thank, uh, you know, my family for one. You know, my dad has been a big supporter. Um, Amber, she's been just incredibly amazing, you know, over the last, you know, year and a half when it comes to lifting and preparing for stuff and just kind of understanding it and supporting, you know, a world she's not used to. Um, certainly, you know, Ben Escrow, um, you know, certainly thank him for the programming and the support and all that. Uh, you know, Bryce Lewis talking to him to the, you know, on the phone over the last year about certain stuff has been pretty helpful. Um, uh, SBD, you know, with the, um, you know, the products they make, they really like their singlets and all their stuff. And so that's been, that's been really great, you know, um, the new nutrition. So I thank you guys just for having me on, you know, and, and doing that and, yeah, I'd also like to thank the sealer competitors, you know, so, uh, you know, Garrett Blevins and Ben Rice and these other guys that uh, make lifting fun, you know, and, uh, you know, just the community in general, you know, so I guess there are a lot of people to, to think about it, you know, but uh, those are some of the ones that kind of stick out. Well, thank you for coming on, my man. Yep. Very much appreciated. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I know you're incredibly busy, but good luck with everything, including all the training and um I'll probably, well, I will see you in Sweden, and it's going to be a blast calling the 105s. Yeah. Uh, so we'll keep in yeah. touch, my friend. Yep, sounds good. Yeah, and uh, I, I do like your guys' podcasts. I listen to those regularly, and they're really good. So thanks for doing oh, them. Thank you for the shout-out, sir. Much appreciated. Yep. yep. Have a awesome. good one, All right, thanks, friend. guys. Till later. You too. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Well, I'm glad we had him on. He is a crazy busy dude. Yeah. 12-hour days. Overnight, slept three hours. Gets on a podcast. Hops on a podcast anyways. I mean, that's where, you know, in terms of powerlifting, a lot of people will give back. A lot of people will be like, oh, shit, man, I'm, I'm tired of shit. But realize, like, it's a small community. For him, I mean, that's an hour and a half and he's gone without sleep or whatever. But he knows, just like everybody, somebody's listening to this, man. Some people look up to you. You know, even though in his world... You know, his fiance doesn't fully know who he is, and like, well, that she knows who he is in terms of athletically speaking. Yeah. Didn't wasn't around for when he won the world. Some people saw him win the worlds on the street. Some people, you know, seen him like have been watching, and they hear, oh shit, Eli's on a podcast, and they want to hear it. And you realize, like, you know, people are watching, people are listening. You know, so an hour of your time can it gives them some of that content. You know what I mean? And for some people, it's a huge deal. You know, you never know who's looking up to you. It's weird to think yeah, like that. Let's let's face it as well. How often do you get a chance to go on, get interviewed, tell your story? Yeah, we'll tell you side. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, maybe in Where this world, he doesn't get to talk about it very much. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, let's talk about the and time. Let's face it. We all love talking about powerlifting. It's why yeah. we do what we do. It's yeah. why everybody comes on our show. And it's why people listen to it. So. Sports talk. 
Exactly. And this is their sports. He seems like a super friendly, nice dude. Yeah, as I said, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that they would have wished somebody won over Tom. That is as humble a man as you can ask for. And um, as interesting as approach, I mean, some people, you know, I remember talking to uh, Ellis McClain, and he was like, I've never touched the weight on the platform I hadn't already touched in, in the gym. And he's like, I don't know too many people who haven't. I was like, ah, man, only because I uh, do these all the fucking time. I've heard it all. Yeah. Right? I've heard, like, people like, you know, like, Eli right there. I'm like, oh, he's like 100 pounds off from the weight of the platform. Hit the platform. It's, you know, you know, they say the more you know, the more you don't know. You can get overwhelmed with how many training styles and you should be sub-max. You should be within 10 pounds of what you want on the platform. It's... We're in a world where there's almost too much information. Yeah, yeah, man. And too many different things to try out. Yeah, and but it's we're talking about two different world champions. Yeah. When I say LS and Eli, guys have both been to the mountaintop. Both of them are right. But it also goes to show exactly that. Just because you do it one way and it's been successful for you, yeah, doesn't mean that it's always the right way. Well, the best you could do is pull from it and and try to just kind of like, um, you know, it's trial and error. Yeah. And, and the more you do it, the more you stick in the game, the more you're going to know. And realize you're going to have some off days, but oof, that didn't yeah. work. Yeah, and it's knowing yourself, and it's knowing your coach, yeah. and trusting in the process. Yeah, and, and collecting it's as, that. Uh, it's as Joy Flex says, staying in the pocket. Stay. Whatever that pocket is for you. Yeah, yeah. This podcast brought to you by Flex. <laughs> yeah. uh, Flex Training, get his I'm, t-shirt I'm, I'm at I'm, I'm assuming he'll be paying us for that, right? That's right, that's right. Well, I wish that's the way it happened, yeah. sir. But uh, yeah, hell of a podcast. I'm glad we had Eli on, and uh, we will drop this bad boy, and um, for everybody listening from Six Pack Lapidat and Paul Marin's analyst, please give us highlights, Um, you know, post it in terms of on your IG stories, let your friends know, everybody, because people like Eli deserve this attention, and so do all the powerlifters and everybody in our community, and from Six Pack Lapidat and Paul Marin's end, peace.